This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride through the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jalodanki and Ayush Agarwal. Hello listeners and welcome back to a brand new episode of High School Not So Much a Musical. We are truly excited because our special guest today is someone who has been a part of all of our childhoods, Devin Leos, a Disney child actor who we all know and love. If you don't recognize his name, you will for sure recognize his screen name. Anyway, hello Devin. Just to get us started, could you give our listeners a quick introduction about yourself before we get into some questions? Yeah, sure. Um, what's going on, guys? Uh, my name is Devin Leos. A lot of you may have seen me or know me from Disney Channel, where I appeared on Jesse, Austin, and Allie. I played Trisha's little brother on Austin and Allie. I played uh, the bully in Jesse. Um, and then, of course, the one that most people recognize me from is uh, Mighty Med, which I, where I played a character called Alan. He was like the anti-hero kind of, you know, the bad guy, good guy, kind of like the guy that you love to hate. I was always screaming, saying, "What?" Um, so yeah, I've been uh, been an actor for oh wow, uh, oh, about twelve years, um, and I've been on Final Fantasy, played voices in Final Fantasy. Uh, obviously, all my Disney stuff you guys know about. Um, I was on a Nickelodeon show called Marvin Marvin. Um, fun fact: I also sang a song. Oh, there goes my microphone. It's all good. I I sang a song on uh, Nickelodeon's Ike Carly. We did this song. It was like a version of Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, I also did other various voiceover work on iCarly. Uh, I was in a Tyler Perry movie called Medea's Witness Protection. But I guess my main claim to fame is uh, Disney Channel stuff. So now I run a couple different online businesses um, and work with a couple different charities in the process of starting my own nonprofit charity as well. And um, yeah, that's uh, now I'm here talking to you guys and I'm very glad to have this opportunity. Yeah, thank you for that introduction. So course, yeah, um, thank you guys. Yeah. So what's your first ever like acting job with Disney Channel or did you do like a couple of smaller ones before you entered Disney Channel? And if so, could you talk about maybe what those ones were or how you landed your first acting job? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, so um, I'll just start at the beginning. Basically, when I was a kid, I had a friend by the name of Atticus Schaefer, really good guy. Um, you guys probably have seen him on a show called The Middle where he plays Brick, Brick Heck. Um, he's a great kid and an incredibly strong man. Um, he, you know, suffers from a disease called OI, which is like osteo in something. He has uh, brittle bone disease. Um, and him and I used to be really good friends. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, he'd get bullied and I would stick up for him and stuff. And so we, you know, we just became really good friends and I didn't even really know he was an actor. Um, he introduced me to his manager. His manager liked me. You know, one day he was literally just like, dude, would you ever want to be an actor? And I was like, dude, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, and so I met his manager. His manager liked me. I started going out on auditions. The first thing I booked was a voiceover for, I believe it was Target. And so it was a Target uh, radio commercial. And I booked that. Um, and then I believe I did a a Walmart or no, 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 no. It was a Microsoft, Microsoft commercial voiceover as well for the radio. Um, and then I actually ended up booking a job on my friend's show, uh, the middle, which was his show. And that, so that was pretty cool. The guy that got me into the uh, acting business. Um, so I did an episode there and then I ended up doing like another episode. Um, I did a commercial for a game that was for cartoon network called fusion fall. Um, and then I booked pretty early on, I booked, um, I booked, what was it? Uh, Jesse, it was uh, season one, episode four, zombie tea party five was the name of the episode. Um, I booked that, had a really good time. I met Cameron Boyce, Debbie Ryan, Peyton List, uh, Karen Brar. I mean, amazing cast. They were all, you know, they're all just like little babies at the time. This was, I think around 2011. Fun fact, also, the reason why I'm on Twitter, I got onto Twitter because Debbie Ryan had recommended that I get on Twitter, and that was in 2011, so I've been on Twitter since, I guess, 2011. Um, but, yeah, that was my first Disney show, and then I uh, ended up booking Austin and Allie, um, then I worked two episodes on that, and then Disney called me to come and audition for a pilot called Gold. Oliver Quinn, which was about this guy that like 
gets lost at sea or something when he's a kid and then he just basically stays a kid his entire life and he goes back to school to learn like how like to learn all the stuff that he left off on when he's an adult and so it's about these kids like meeting this dude that show didn't end up going with disney but we ended up uh we basically ended up just shooting it and you know didn't go anywhere um after that about a year and a half or two years after that I ended up while I was working on a movie called Dead Time Stories. I, I, I got a call that I had gotten a screen test for the show Mighty Med. And the craziest story about Mighty Med is that when I first auditioned for the show, it was in December of I think 2012, maybe. I auditioned for the role of Oliver and for the role of Kaz. Um, and they, they didn't. They didn't uh, didn't say anything for a while. Then they called me back. They wanted me to do a callback, um, but I was like, uh, no, you know. I, I was like, tell them I'm sick. I don't feel comfortable with the part. Told them I was sick, and then so I didn't end up getting that part. But then they called me back later, and they're like, we want you to read for this role of Alan because we're not we haven't found anyone that we want to cast as Alan. I read for Alan, did the screen test, did another screen test, and. I think you guys know how the story goes. I ended up getting on the show. We shot pilot number one, which is actually a lot different than the very first episode. And then Disney said, okay, we're going to pick this up, but we want to essentially reshoot the pilot, make it a little bit different. So we did that. So the pilot that you guys saw on Disney Channel that's on Disney Plus right now is not actually the original pilot, Interesting, interestingly enough. Um, and the logo changed. If you guys go on my TikTok uh, at BDevinLeos and scroll through it, there's a video that shows like an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. type of logo with like an M and like a bird head on it. Um, that was the first logo. So a couple things changed, but um, yeah. And then I did that show for about two years and here I am now. Good to hear like the progression of your journey, just starting off with, you know, a couple commercials for some big name brands like Microsoft and then from there, kind of shifting more into like actually acting and recording uh, like hours worth of TV shows, for example, as you mentioned, Mighty Med. Um, so if you could talk a little bit actually about how that progression occurred in terms of for voice acting, how different was it from just acting in general? Which one was more difficult? How did they compare? And also, uh, how were you able to make the transition from um, voice acting to screen acting and was that transition difficult sure so <clears throat> excuse me um i'll talk a little bit about that so i'll start from like easiest to most difficult um i would say that when it comes to voice acting right the auditions if you're a good or a decent voice actor you know the auditions are just easy you know you know how to do voices or but a relatively decent actor you know, voice act, voice jobs are, it's a piece of cake to audition for them. Um, and they're also really easy to do, you know. Um, sometimes when you get callbacks for the voiceover auditions, very occasionally you'll talk to the director or you'll talk to like the producers or whatever. That can be a little nerve wracking, but all in all, you're in a studio that has, it's padded. You're, you know, probably in a different location. It's very quick to do the auditions. Also, the jobs for voice acting get done very quickly because it's all audio. They're relatively, I'd say, simple. When I did Final Fantasy, I actually worked at Technicolor Studios, which is where they did The Last of Us. Um, they did games like Gears of War. Um, they did uh, Mass Effect and a couple other big games at that studio. Um, so I had the honor of working there. And it was like, it was very intimidating at first because when I got there, they had all the Gears of War memorabilia. They had the uh, weapons on the wall and like all the stuff that they had done. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm working in such an, like such a big studio. This is, I feel so honored. You know, this is, this is incredible. Um, but all in all, even for the job on Final Fantasy, I played like three different NPCs and it was quick. I mean, I remember it being like maybe two hours, the commercials, 30 minutes. Um, so that was easy. I then signed a deal with CESD Talent Agency to basically have them represent me for audio productions and audio uh, voiceovers. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, it was awesome, but I would say where it gets nerve wracking is when you go into the auditions. Every time you go into an audition for a TV show, movie, 
you're in front of people you have to perform that's always that can always be nerve-wracking it takes a while to get used to that um i would say like the hard part is obviously memorizing the lines and then performing well and then kind of like doing everything together so not only are you memorizing things you have to perform well so you have to kill your nerves and you have to oftentimes perform in some in front of someone who you have you know you don't you don't know and their job is to judge how well you're going to do it um so that can be i can always be tough and then if you get a call back you're usually in front of directors um and then usually you'll get like either an executive call back or a producer session is what they call it and you're in front of like multiple producers probably executive producers the director they want to see how you perform and they want to see how well you take direction that's pretty tough um now when it comes to the jobs i will say um it varies right so like disney disney jobs um you have to stay on script you have to have your lines memorized but they're pretty good with their dialogue coaches at you know helping you out and stuff you know there's a lot of there's what we call blocking which is like the choreography of the scene so you say this then you go here you go over here you touch that every set and production can be different sometimes blocking has more improv improv improvisation um whereas other blocking is more like uh, structured and scripted um so uh just to kind of like just kind of compare uh i worked for tyler perry on medea's witness protection that was that was a little bit scripted but there was a lot of improvisational scenes that we did where we either like just continued dialogue or we did what we were doing it was very natural um and we shot that very quickly uh with disney we just were very careful with the blocking and very um almost like very surgical in a way so everything was planned out and structured um and it's not like one's worse or better than the other they're all different but i would say that you know definitely live action jobs are a lot more difficult um and i would say the most labor not labor intensive but the most not i don't want i don't even want to use a word like stressful um <laughs> the most challenging uh work i've ever done i would say is on mighty men um i'll give some examples one time we worked with um uh a, a, a sports a sports influencer or i should say a member of of a sports team a player on a sports team and the the um company that oversaw them you know like the nba or the nfl or the or the you know the the um but the the baseball one i don't even know um the nhl whatever right um they they actually had read the script on the last day of our rehearsal which was wednesday and at 11 o'clock at night they had called and told the production team and said this entire script needs to change so i got into work on thursday i had my lines memorized i knew what i was supposed to do and everyone was like all bug-eyed and and like running around and hectic and i go what's going on right now and the dialogue coach she came up to me she goes hey uh you know devin um i hate to tell you this but the entire script changed the entire script changed you have new lines it's a new storyline and i was like okay and she's like oh yeah and you have to record in 15 minutes so let's try to learn these lines and i was like oh my gosh and it wasn't like they just gave us smaller lines i remember one of the pages had like a block of text that i had to memorize and i was like ah but um there were a couple times during that uh week that i had to be like i'm sorry line okay um but we ended up getting through it it was just super crazy and hectic I, I, you know and i i imagine it's like that on any show whether it's disney abc or you know if you're a uh, get uh, a starring role right if you're a star of that show um there's going to be days where it's like it's crazy and it's hectic and the show must go on and everyone works is like a cog in a machine and everyone has to do their job and it's not like oh you know these people get to slack and these people don't know everyone has to perform the right way otherwise the whole thing just comes crumbling down and so big productions like that uh television you know specifically and i imagine films as well but television when you have like such things as show bibles is what they call them or uh continuity um those are always like very particular you know there has to be everything has to be in order and it's almost like you're shooting a year long movie at times and so things have to match up it has to go smooth you know the permits and everything has to be in order now is definitely the hardest and um i just from my experience you just don't see that 
with voiceover work. So definitely live action is more difficult and most difficult work I've ever done is with uh, on Disney Channel with the show. Um, but they treated me very well. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful to have been able to perform with my fellow actors and, uh, you know, very grateful that I got to be a part of such an awesome show. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, of um, course. So I feel that one of the biggest things that's associated with actors is that, um, you know, they, they get their role. And then after that, everything's just easy. Like their job is really easy. They get to go and they get to meet all these very like famous people. Like obviously you got to work with like Karen Brar, Cameron Boyce, Debbie sure. Ryan, people like that. Um, but then they'll, they'll think, oh, their job is so easy. You know, they, they go in, they're having fun the entire day, just recording with these people. And then, you know, people, after they watch a movie, they'll go and watch the behind the scenes and they'll see that the entire cast is, you know, laughing all the time, having fun. But I feel that it's actually like, like acting isn't actually that easy because um, you're the actors, they have to, they have to try their best to portray the character that they're playing. So it's for the most, so that the, the viewers they get the most entertainment possible so um what like so the question i have for you is like what would like a typical day of acting look like for you like like roughly how long would it take to shoot just one like episode of mighty med or like when would you learn your lines when would you actually go and record them sure yeah so <clears throat> excuse me that is a very good question that's a very good point that you brought up because I think there's a huge misconception when it comes to actors of all calibers, especially with Disney Channel, especially, you know, with child actors. Um, and I'm just going to kind of touch on everything and give you a really good answer that's detailed, because this is something that a lot of people don't realize and a lot of people need to understand. And it's that typically, if you're on a television show, you are going to be spending more time as your character than you are going to be spending as yourself. And that's something that I definitely experienced. I would be spending five days a week portraying and learning this character, living as this character, pretending to be this character. And I would have two days to be myself and who I was, which is not necessarily, it's not like that, that might, to some people, they might say that's horrible, um, but it's a job, you know, and some people are made for it and other people aren't. And it affects people differently. And I think that that's just one of the many elements of being an actor that is very, 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 very strenuous on on on, on the individual. Um, and again, some people are cut, cut out for it. Some people are not. Just like with construction, you know, you have people that are naturally strong people that love doing robust type of work. And then you have people that just after one day of, you know, putting bricks on a wall, they're like, ah, I can never do this again. But that's you know that's that's the biggest misconception is like oh my gosh and and it and it, it is a misconception because you have people that desire to be famous or desire to be actors and they see other people doing it and they go oh man they just have everything and it almost dehumanizes certain people i mean actors are dehumanized they're deified um, they're dehumanized because we see these people on the big screen, on the silver screen, or on the television, and it's so intimate and it's so up close, and they're doing extraordinary things, but it's all illusions. And that's what we tend to forget because the best film or the best television series are the ones that pull off the illusion so well that we forget that we're watching an animation. We forget that we're watching uh, uh, actors on a, on a show and me being an actor I mean I'm still there's still certain shows and movies that I watch that they convince me so good that I am so drawn into these um, these these cinematic you know worlds that I forget that these are people um, doing doing real you know jobs and they have real lives outside of this you know and so unfortunately um, we always hear about like, oh, child actors that went crazy or this celebrity is so crazy and they're a wacko. But the truth is, is that what we're oftentimes forgetting is that these are real people with real problems. And, you know, the public is not always conscious, conscious of this. And they expect these people to not only not be, you know, they expect them to be not only be perfect, but they expect them to not have any issues at all. And the truth is, is that we're all human. We all have issues, we, whether they're any genre, category, or spectrum of issues. And um, 
you know, uh, with child actors, obviously you're a child doing a job. You're working more than eight hours a day, usually 10, nine, 10 hours a day. And you're working as an adult, as a child. So it's a lot of work. Um, and yeah, it's fun. It's absolutely fun. I will say it's the best job that I ever had. That's so now that I've got all the negative points and highlights out of the way, I will say it's fun. It's great. It's rewarding, but it is 100% not easy. It is 100% challenging. And it is so challenging that I would say a lot of people end up not being able to withstand it or do it, which is why you hear about people that went crazy because we think about it. You're a child on a television show or, you know, a movie series and you're con continually filming and schooling on set, I will say that you have to prioritize, not your education, you have to prioritize making sure that you're doing a good job so that your other colleagues and coworkers continue to have a job, right? And, you know, it can be very challenging because you, let's say like someone like me, right? Um, uh, you, you, you spend your time in your adolescence on a show and then you become an adult and you're like, okay, now what do I do? I haven't been studying, studying very well. Um, I haven't gone to college, you know what I mean? I'm an adult now. And basically my entire life I've been studying acting and how to be an actor. Now there's no opportunities there. That could be a very challenging thing for some people. So it's, you know, the, the rewards are at the cost of risks, psychological, um, physical. You know, we hear about actors all the time who are having physical health ailments because uh, of certain things. And so, a lot of people go, oh, actors are overpaid. Um, but I think that the way we're looking at that job is not un uh, with a proper understanding. Because whereas someone who is working construction or, you know, they're building houses, they're using their hands and it's physical exertion. But the art of acting and the job of acting and, and, and everything in the entertainment industry, it's all, you know, art based stuff, editing, um, you know, uh, writing, all that stuff is just so nuanced because it's a, it's an art yet. It's done very systematically. It, it's, it's very mentally strenuous and demanding. So yeah, it's fun. And, but I think a lot of times you only see the extravagant things on the television because, you know, obviously no one likes to highlight the, the negative parts of their life, but it is very difficult. It's a very difficult job to do. It's not easy. It's not all fun and games. In fact, if you treat it like it's all fun and game, you can enjoy it. That's fine. But if you treat it like it's all fun and games, you'll quickly find out that you're going to be replaced, rightfully so, by someone who enjoys doing it, but takes it seriously, you know? So it's, I mean, it's great. It's a rewarding job, but it is not easy at all by any means. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think that gives like a really good insight into like how exactly things go on behind the set, like what we don't see. And you also said that you spent most of your time like being a character instead of yourself. So like, would people accidentally call you by like your on-screen on screen name? And like, in like your life outside of the screen, would ever would anybody ever call you like Alan? And this like connects to my next question. Like, how was going back to school? Like with everyone knowing that you were a famous Disney Channel actor, did anybody like taunt you or bully you because of it? Or was it like a response that was overwhelmingly positive? Um, it was, a. it was, it was, a, it was a, well, let me actually start in chronological order from that question. So to answer the first part, um, yeah, uh, at the height of the show. So around the time that the second season started airing, I'd go out to eat with any of my friends from the show, you'd have people coming up and taking pictures of us without our consent, which is fine. You know, it's one of the risks that you take on with the job. And that's, that's, a, that's another thing too. It's like, you have to know what you're getting yourself into and you have to be aware of your position. You know, it is a very prestigious position to be an actor on a, on a prominent television show. Um, but that being said, people also, also need to respect that these are real people and that they deserve privacy and stuff. Um, and people would come up to us all the time, call us by our set names, Alan, Alan, Kaz, Oliver. Um, and people still do that to me a little bit. It doesn't bother me at all. Like people on TikTok go, oh my God, that's Alan. Um, you know, so people do still do that. And they did that a lot. And how that affected me was I did have to have this persona, you know, of, of okay, this is who I am. And this is the character that I represent. And I had to, you know, basically kind of 
mold my personality to that. And it was challenging for me because I, I mean, you know, you guys are in high school and um, I think that obviously I've been in high school and I think we can all agree, you know, high school is obviously about transitioning, but you're also figuring out who you are. What do I want to do? What do I want to go to college to be, you know? And um, so I was, I was in the same area. I'm like, okay, uh, especially after the show ended, I'm like, I spent all this time molding my personality to be the person that I had to be, you know, to the fans. And now it's like, okay, who am I? And I, you know, went through my phase of like trying to figure this out. And, um, you know, that was, that was difficult. Um, but I'm sorry, what was the second half of your question again? Just so I could, I can answer it properly. Yeah. So it was just sort of like, was the, when you went back to school was like, oh, the, yeah. Was like yes. the response overwhelmingly positive or did you get like some bullying because of it? So, um, I think we probably all heard the story of, uh, the star Wars kid that played, I think Anakin in episode two or whatever, uh, how he was, uh, you know, bullied so much that he had to like change schools a bunch of times. And, um, when I first heard that, I was like, wow, that's crazy. But then I was like, wait, actually, no, it's not. It's not crazy because it was both for me. So I've been an actor since I was 10 years old. Um, growing up, it was always like mixed. A lot of people made fun of me out of jealousy because it's crazy. Like a lot of times when you intimidate people or you are doing something that people subconsciously or consciously feel intimidated by, their result is like to basically, you know, take away from it or make fun of it. And it's, you know, it sucks. Um, but yeah, I, I would say I went through both. I mean, I had a lot of the adults were like, oh my gosh, dude, you're, oh, that's so cool. Like, you know, they understood that, you know, it was kind of uh, one of those things that was really hard to do. But then a lot of the, a lot of kids, you know, growing up, they were just very like, I guess I would say just not like supportive i had a couple people that were supportive of it and then when the show like came out i wasn't really in school so like before when i had done certain smaller projects that people knew about it was just kind of like oh yeah you know you know it's one of those things and i'd be on baseball my little league team and the coaches would be like come on Devin, stop messing around there's no cameras or they'd say stupid stuff like that um but so mighty med i started doing that when i was 13 all the way up until i was about um, from the time of the first pilot to the time of like the very last Mighty Med promo that we did, um, I was about, it was like 13 to 16 years old. Um, and so at about 16, I went back to school, which was a charter school. I went in twice a day and it was hard. Uh, I would say the hardest part was socializing and, um, it was difficult because again, like five days out of the week, I'm on set, you know, my whole entire life revolves around the show, the people on the show and the politics involved with that. Um, so that's my whole, you know, mode of operations is that I'm like, I'm, I'm adapted to this lifestyle of having to deal with all these things. And then, so when the show got canceled, then going back to, uh, essentially trying to be a normal person. There were a lot of like younger kids that were like, oh, he's the guy from Mighty Med. But then with my own age group, it was really weird. I didn't really get along with people. Um, I was always the guy in class that like, where, where I grew up, it was very, it was very like people had these certain opinions. And during my high school years, I had differing opinions and I was very like politically curious at the time. And so, I, I just, I was seeing this kind of like opposition by a lot of the other kids. I had like two or three friends and I just didn't understand how to socialize with people, um, you know, because I had spent my time with people that basically didn't know how to socialize either because, you know, everywhere they went, they were recognized. And so they were just treated like, uh, you know, like, like celebrities 24 seven. And um, it was weird. It was just definitely weird adapting back to it. And this is something that is embarrassing, but I'm an honest person is that um, I ended up dropping out of high school because I felt that I was, I was pretty far behind on a lot of things because during the course of my filming, um, I had to put a huge focus on the show and studying for the show and, you know, and, and upholding my job. Um, 
but I've also was just, I just felt like I wasn't learning or benefiting from being in school. And I ended up dropping out in my senior year with only a couple more credits left. And um, because they wanted me to study with the freshmen in certain classes. And I just felt like, I just felt so stupid in, 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 uh, in my senior year because I was 17, uh, about to be 18. I ended up turning 18 and I'm sitting with a bunch of freshmen. They're like 14 years old. And I'm like, I don't feel right here. And so I ended up dropping out of that charter school and um, pursuing entertainment. But then I obviously would become an entrepreneur and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was tough. And I've always been someone that's been kind of gotten along with older people my entire life, you know, and um, it was difficult to just, I didn't, I didn't, I was not a socialite in high school. I wasn't popular really. Um, I was popular with some of the teachers cause they're like, oh, Devin's great. Like he loves to, you know, talk about politics or he loves to talk about philosophy or, you know, art or whatever. Um, but not with the kids. I didn't, you know, I had like three friends. So it was weird. Not, I don't know. I mean, I would say that a big part of it was definitely dedicating my life to the, to the acting world and the show. Um, and maybe part of it was just that I'm, you know, a little bit of a antisocial type of guy sometimes. But yeah, it was weird. It was just weird because it's two different worlds that I got to experience. So, yeah. Yeah. So like before we get to like what happened to you after you dropped out of high school and like the business aspect of you sure. right now, I have one quick last question about being a Disney Channel actor. And I think it's like a burning question everyone wants to know is, and it's about the laughs on Disney Channel. So uh, everyone, you know, they watch, they watch Disney Channel. There's like a corny joke or some, or back then it was actually funny to us, but like, you know, obviously watching when we're older, it seems pretty corny. And then there's like an audience laughing. So was that actually real? Or were you actually like recording in front of the live audience, but like they were actually laugh? Yes, so story time. So yeah, basically what you said. So there's two types of laughter, right? There's canned laughter, which is super spooky. And then there's live laughter. Live laughter, obviously filmed in front of a live audience, um, which is how Jesse was done when I attended. They have um, basically what are like bleachers inside the studio. If you can imagine, like, you know, if you guys have a football stu uh, stadium at your school. Yeah. They were like the bleachers, but they were inside the set. They get people to come and sit down there. People get tickets. Um, they'd invite various certain people and they'd get to be the audience. And then, you know, they they do their direction or whatever. Then there's canned laughter, which is put in post-production, which is spooky because it's obviously inorganic, but it's also spooky because, fun fact, sometimes when you're hearing canned laughter, you're hearing the laughs of dead people because they'll use canned laughter from 50 years ago, 60 years, years ago. Um, so Jesse and Austin and Allie were filmed in front of a live studio audience, which typically I think the shows will tell you. Mighty Med was not. Mighty Med did use canned laughter. A lot of shows use canned laughter, um, but Austin and Allie and Jesse were in front of a live audience, not Mighty Med though. Yeah, and I think that kind of gives us a really good understanding of the progression that you made from, you know, your, the initial start of your acting career to your voice acting to then what you did with Mighty Med and now what you're kind of doing now. Uh, and you kind of mentioned like the societal pressures that you had because of your um, experience as a child actor, like people taking pictures of you, you getting like taunted in school, like uh, kids kind of being antisocial with you. And that can create like a lot of pressure, it's essentially like a pressure cooker. And we kind of learned about that in like AP US history, for example, where like when kids they're growing up with like out without a father and then even in school, they don't have like the same opportunities as like, for example, kids like us going to private school do, that can create a lot of pressure to the point where they start to, you know, commit crimes, commit uh, commit other things that aren't, aren't necessarily uh, society, so socially ideal. Um, sure. So we wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, how that same kind of pressure could have led to uh, what happened to you and how you mentioned in our original planning meeting how you kind of lost sense of what was right or wrong. Sure. If you could further expand on that for our listeners uh, and why, you know, we often never see child actors essentially resurface again. There has to be a reason for this. So if you could talk a little bit about your experience with that. Yeah. Okay. So this is a, that's a great point. And um, I, I definitely agree, you know, that 
certain certain scenarios and environments can influence somebody i'm also the type of person that is a uh that is that is a um self responsibility or uh whatever uh, i take responsibility for my choices and i think that i think that it's certainly depending on the influences you have in your life easier or harder to make good or bad choices i take responsibility for my choices and i think that anyone who completely and wholly blames their choices on a variety of factors in their life is not taking responsibility and uh you know ultimately um taking away from anyone that they may have affected with those choices you know when you make it when you make bad choices in your life sometimes it just affects you and other times it affect affects other people and um you know i um i spent my entire time on the show and not learning how to necessarily socialize or function or even financially plan properly um i didn't have a structure i had to basically just study myself we had a set teacher that was essentially just a regulator that made sure we were doing our schoolwork and at that time you know i i'm a person who i need to be motivated i want i need to you know it's almost like they say when someone's an alcoholic or excuse me when someone suffers from alcoholism um or addiction you know they have to want to change and for me i'm the type of person that has to want to learn something or they has to be passionate about it and at that time i was passionate about performing on that show and so it was hard and um there were even instances where i found myself uh in jeopardy because you know i was getting starting to get worse grades you know because again this i'm all i'm teaching myself and also dealing with the stress and pressures of having to essentially um perform and be on a show and then be a representative of that show everywhere I go and um that had interpersonal struggles for me and my family with my brother having to go into a he actually started attending a private school which before he was uh primarily homeschooled by my mother and so my father you know I started making more money than my father and um it it's a lot of interpersonal struggles you know that you go through but um I I, the show ended and I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. Um the point that I dropped out of high school um didn't really have a plan except for that I wanted to be a rapper, quote unquote. And um I started, you know, spending time in music studios and that didn't that was about around 2016. That didn't really pan out as it, you know, oftentimes doesn't, you know, if you don't have a plan or an understanding of the industry that you're trying to join or become a part of, then it can oftentimes end in catastrophe. Um I entered into the music industry which unbeknownst to me at the time, music industry is an incredible industry with a lot of incredible people working in it nowadays. However, it's also has its roots in organized crime and is still to this day tainted by facets uh of, you know, the the org the world of crime. um especially you know we look at a lot of rappers and you know what they rap about and their gangbangers or you know um you know members of criminal organizations and constantly getting in trouble and stuff and so i wanted to i guess at that time wanted that to be what i was joining a part of but i just had this dream of being you know of just doing something else besides disney channel cuz i felt typecast and constrained um and and just confined to this little box of Disney Channel actor Devin and I felt that maybe that was why I wasn't getting much work and so I just wanted to go into a new industry and in the music industry I uh I mean I started I stopped becoming I stopped doing artistry for a little while in 2016 and then uh in the beginning of 2017 I started interning at different studios um I started working with this guy named DJ Flip and um I met Gothboy Click, Lil Peep, um Smoke Perp. I met like all these people that were were like at the height of the SoundCloud rap stuff. Um and you know that was all cool, but then I also met a lot of like people that were um you know just doing stuff like, you know, either selling drugs or, you know, doing other illicit activities and um I was struggling for money uh, because I basically after I turned 18 I got 15% of my lifetime earnings after taxes the rest of the money I basically gave it away to my family because I didn't think that I would need you know need it 
Um, and so I took the 15%, which was roughly almost $100,000 of my lifetime earnings. Um, and then I spent that because I didn't know how to manage my finances properly. I didn't know how to make money work for me. Um, and, you know, I found myself not having money. So started off with me like selling a little bit of weed here and there. And then that was okay. And then I just got desensitized to that world. Everyone around me was doing stuff like that. Um, and I found myself doing other things, other illicit activities. And so while I will say, um, well, let me actually, let me, let me not, let me not, uh, you know, let me not skip ahead too far. So eventually in 2018, I ended up getting into a scenario where I went to a 7-Eleven and um, I was there with a friend of mine. And um, as we exited the 7-Eleven, well, before that, there was a, there was a guy looking into my car who was outside and he was partaking in uh, drug use. And I approached him and just told him, hey man, get away from my car. Uh, then we basically got into the car and left. But before well, before we left, we had stopped at the uh, right at the exit of the parking lot. And we were looking for directions on our phone. And uh, I was looking for directions on my phone. And he was filming the guy outside of the 7-Eleven on his phone. And the guy took off running and tried to grab my friend because the window was down out of the car and pull him out of the car and started violently punching him in the face. And I just freaked out. And eventually I ended up barely just hitting the guy with my car. And I got charged with vehicle assault, vehicular assault. In my mind, I was defending myself and my friend. You know, I was scared young kid at the time. You know, I was like 19 years old or no, I was 20 years old. Um, and I was, you know, I was just freaked out. Um, the guy didn't get hurt at all, you know, he was fine, completely fine, you know. Um, but my friend had taken a video of the whole thing, posted online, long story short, people saw it, called the police. I ended up getting in trouble for vehicular assault and they wanted me to give a statement and I said, no, not without my lawyer. They then got angry and charged me with attempted murder. Um, and, and so I went and fought that for about four months. I fought that and was trying to get them to drop the charges. And, um, you know, my lawyer told me at the time that if we continue to fight it for another six months that he'd get it dropped, it would get recharged and then eventually he'd get it thrown out of court. I, um, that's also skipping ahead a little bit. I'll just go back a little bit. So uh, during the course of that, of my time in prison, which was four months approximately, I was in solitary confinement and so I was in a box by myself, basically in Supermax. Um, and I got to go to a basketball court inside of another metal box, maybe once a week. I got to take two showers a week and I got to make two phone calls a week. And that was if I was lucky. During that time, I had a very spiritual experiences um, and I you know, ended up becoming very spiritual and very religious. Um, and changed my perspective on the world. I read a lot of books. Um, now, I will say that I have never had a history of violence and it was a weird situation. I was freaked out from things that I had experienced out on the streets. And, you know, um, I, I don't, I just don't feel like the charges that were presented against me were accurate. Um, and I ended up getting, after uh, four months, I ended up basically taking a plea deal to plead guilty to the charge of attempted murder. The reason why I did that is because they were offering me time served in probation. Um, and if I had taken a plea deal for vehicular assault, I would have lost my driver's license for the rest of my life because the DA in exchange for that deal wanted me to essentially forfeit my license for the rest of my life. Um, now, all that being said, uh, despite the fact that I was overcharged and that that was a completely ridiculous scenario and that I never had a history of violence, I will be the first person to, to tell you guys and everyone listening that before that, um, my sort of fall into the world of, 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 of illicit activities and, and, you know, being a, being a, a bad person essentially is I did commit other crimes and I was doing things that were not right. You know, I won't go into specifics. I did not ever commit any violent crimes. I didn't, you know, I, my, my, a lot of my crimes were more um, focused more on the cyber crime er, uh, type of category. Um, but I always thought that that's what I would get in trouble for and come to find out 
you know, I, I never thought I would ever be in trouble for anything violent because I've never been a violent person throughout my whole entire life. There's like no record of that. And turns out, you know, that's what I got in trouble for. And so I, I had a lot of time during during that to, to think about my actions. And despite the fact that I'd never been a violent person, um, I still in some way, shape or form kind of needed a wake up call. And, you know, I, I, I'm thankful for being able to spend time in solitary confinement. And I don't know. I mean, you know, like the thing is, is that I can hypothesize and fantasize about what would have been or what if this or that. But the truth is, is that empirically, all I can know is what I went through. So I can't say that I know I would have changed and had a paradigm shift if anything went differently in my life. You know, it sucks because I... I'm a completely different person nowadays, not because I was going out hurting people. I wasn't, I wasn't hurting people. I was just, I mean, I was hurting people in different ways. You know, like I I had been involved in certain cybercrime stuff here and there, and I got out of that. Um, I didn't I didn't see that as like super bad because, you know, I was like, oh, I'm not hurting anybody physically and, you know, this and that. But, um, but still I had a paradigm shift. And now the place that I'm at is I just, I, care about my my community um starting a non-profit actually that i'm really passionate about because i've been working with a couple of different nonprofits. one of them is family promise santa clarita for to help homeless families out here and I, I i'm very passionate about that organization because of what they do um but before this happened and even now like the the homeless crisis is of concern to me for sure but it's 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 hard and this is me being honest for me to put my entire passion behind it because I was placed in this nonprofit that I'm working with now, uh, or one of the nonprofits that I'm working with now as a part of, of my agreement with the, uh, with the district attorney that I would, you know, essentially help out. And I've grown very fond of the nonprofit, but I wanted to put my, um, my passion into another nonprofit, which is what I'm doing now, which is going to be essentially a community safety and community intelligence nonprofit that specializes in keeping the community safe and um, you know providing uh, uh, safety for the members of that community and providing you know assistance to that community. Um, and now where I'm at, you know, I'm I just want to be an upstanding member of society, but I'm still dealing with the choices that I made. You know, I should have driven away. I was freaked out during the time when this occurred, and I wish I would have handled it differently. And when people go, well, what was going through your head? I just, I'm like, I don't even know. Like, I, I, I was just freaked out, you know, um, probably two and a half months before that took place, the encounter that I had with the homeless guy, I had seen a friend of mine. Well, excuse me, I didn't see, but I was in the same building as a friend of mine and I just heard his screams and I, I walked out the door and he was bloody. He had gotten stabbed and he eventually died. And, um, I was just tra traumatized a little bit by that. And so when this guy came out and attacked us, I just reacted in a crazy way, you know, like instead of fight or flight, I, I chose to fight. And it was, you know, a mistake that I made. Um, but that's not to say that I was a perfect person before all that. I was actually during the time that that occurred homeless myself and living out of studios or living out of different apartments that people would let me stay in because I was not on good terms with my parents at that time. And um, I was a lost kid, you know, and I, I low key, I hated myself because I went from being this child actor that everybody loved and being Alan to just being this degenerate. And that got reinforced even after more after this happened. And I realized I was like, this, this is all because of my choices. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm telling you guys all these things and talking about this not to make excuses, you know, because I, there's no excuse. I mean, I, I wish that uh, I would have made the other choices, but there's no excuse for these types of behaviors. And um, I most definitely was not living to the best of my ability to be an upstanding member of my community and my society and my country at that time. And, um, you know, I deserved definitely some type of punishment, maybe not the amount that I got having to spend four months in a supermax bo metal box and, you know, uh, being treated like an animal and, um, and whatnot, but I definitely deserve to be punished and now I'm just trying to make amends and, and, you know, make things, make things right. And, um, and so after getting out of jail, I was on the straight and narrow. Um, I remember when I first got out of jail, one of the first videos that I watched was Gary V 
and he was talking about how you can go to garage sales and find things to sell on eBay. And I did that. And within my very first week of doing that, I made, I made probably a few hundred dollars. I, I found this Lego box. I scanned it worth 150 on eBay. She wanted $20 for it, sold it, sold it, you know, just kept doing that process. Thank you to my father, my, my father helping me during this time. Um, and I just wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just wanted to be, do legit business. I figured my career was ruined because they brand, brandished me as this attempted murderer, which sounds so horrible. And everyone, TMZ ended up running an article on me um, and everyone was sending me death threats. They were calling me a murderer. They were calling me, you know, racist names and all kinds of things. And uh, they were threatening me. And uh, people, you know, people were scared of me. People thought that I was like some killer person and it just really hurt my reputation. But, um, you know, so I figured that, you know, acting wise, it would be a long time probably before I got to be looked at with, uh, you know, be given a second chance, which everyone does deserve once they earn earn it, you know. But um, um, I, I, again, like I said, I started doing the garage sale flipping I, I was starting to make like $1,500 a month. Um, and then I had an issue with a guy that refunded a very large item and then sent me back like something that it was like broken and it wasn't broken when I sent it to him. So I don't know if he swapped it or what, but my eBay account got banned. Um, and so I had always, I had had a background from after I worked on Disney with PR and publicity. And um, I had started studying marketing in about 2017. So I went back to my roots and I started doing online digital marketing. I hyper specialized in TikTok and influencer marketing. I became like the guy to go to. I ran TikTok campaigns for different music artists. Um, and then that blossomed into doing more media and communications work and then PR. I started my own company in 2021 officially because I was doing freelance work. Um, so in 2020, I started uh, first it was D Digital um which was you know essentially a pr and marketing agency and then three months ago um i started with a with my best friend named steven reza um i started a company called fcao which is full circle alpha omega which handles creative projects of any caliber we specialize in production we specialize in marketing uh, public relations and it's pretty much tailored towards people in the entertainment industry however it's creative projects of any caliber. So commercials, music videos, you know, people want to do movies or if they just are, you know, uh, a, an entrepreneur or a music artist that wants the marketing, the PR, the um, creative, you know, the ad makers all in one place, we provide that. And we are a reputable and vetted team that provides basically a one-stop shop for people who need creative or uh, digital marketing assets of any type. And um, D Digital had a lot of success. Um, and now FCAO within our first three months, I believe we have seven clients that we're working with. And so we're seeing a lot of success there and it's really nice. Um, so yeah, sorry if I kind of went over and up and beyond, but you know, we could talk more about the entrepreneurial stuff there, but that was the transition, you know, that was the transition. It was definitely, it was a wake up call and, um, it sucks that it had to happen that way. I'll tell you that that much. Sucks that it really had to happen that way. Sucks for my family. Sucks for me. But I'm glad that I had a wake up call. I'm glad I got to spend four months in a box where the only activities I was able to do I were I was able to do was uh, read, read books, write, um, think. Thinking is so important, and it's so weird to say that because it's like, oh, we're always we're all always thinking, but we don't. I mean, it, there's a difference between like just the average everyday oh i'm just thinking about things and like actually breaking something down and just sitting there and realizing you've been doing things wrong because that's what i did in jail i was like okay let me just break down my entire life and i was like oh my god yeah i've been living so wrong and I've, i was so anti-religious at that time i didn't believe in the higher power and i was like i've been wrong i've been wrong about all this stuff and so I, I just shifted and figured out what do I need? How do I need to live my life to not ever be in a situation again and to be someone that's positive and upstanding and positively affects the people in his life. And I realized that, you know, I needed to make a philosophical change in my beliefs and my actions. And I was able to do that. And so, you know, not to get preachy or anything on here, I'm not going to push religion down anyone's throats, but it's like, okay, 
you know, this, this system, this philosophical system that I now believe in, if I had been living to these standards and following this system and following this structure and these rituals and these, you know, practices, would I have been here? And the answer to me was no. And so I changed, you know, and it's been, I'm not perfect by any means now, but I'm different. And, and I will never compromise on that. And I didn't have that before, you know, I was very lost. So sorry to go long form there, but I just wanted to go in depth, you know? There's only like a handful of people in this world that can talk about these issues and like their past experiences in life as openly as you just did. And in like the position that you're in as like a social media influencer, it's basically like less than, less than like less than less than one half of 1%, you know, it's, it's super, super hard being open about these issues and like the amount of depth that you went into, it, it's really, really impressive. It kind of shows like how big your heart is. I don't think like Nathan, me or Rishi, I, I don't think if we were in the, the position that you are in, I, I don't think we would be able to go in depth and kind of share those issues with the audience. So it's really, really impressive that you're doing that and it truly speaks about your heart uh, and you. your ability to like self-reflect um, on a crime that you know that you were unjustly charged for and you're still taking responsibility for it it really shows your um really shows the amount of responsibility that you can take on as a leader so uh it, it's awesome that you're doing that um and it kind of leads to like the topic that we wanted to talk about which is how um society if they give people a second chance if it gives people a second chance then it can really lead to some amazing outcomes. Like as you mentioned, your nonprofit, all your marketing work, all your new businesses that you're starting up, that all really ends up benefiting society. And it all came from a person who was able to, you know, self-reflect in uh, in prison uh, and use that for a more positive common good. Um, so we wanted to kind of close off the podcast with, you know, due to your wide variety of experiences, you have like a really full encompassing uh, sphere and uh, understanding of life in general. So, and, and that's really impressive at such a young age to have such Thank a great you. amount of wisdom. So you. if you could, you know, give any tips to the audience, it could be about if, the, if a member of the audience wants to get into their own acting career, or if, you know, the member of an audience wants to start a business or is struggling with emotions like you did, a any tips that you might have for the audience? Um, sure. Um... I would say this, nothing in life that you want to do is necessarily impossible. It's always good to remember that because things are definitely easier or more difficult depending on the situation or situations or environment or environments that we're in. You know, some things are easier to access and other things are more difficult to, to access. Um, but I would say that if you're passionate about something, you know, it's not impossible, so don't give up on it. I would also say that there's a great speech that a commencement speech that David Foster Wallace gave, um, who he was the writer of a very long-winded and sometimes confusing, but ultimately very well-written um, novel or book called Infinite Jest. Um, and basically what David Foster Wallace said during this commencement speech was, you know, avoid blind certainty and what that means is that we should always be performing a sanity check on ourselves and our beliefs. And it's it's very challenging and it's also very um it can be it can be it can be intimidating to do that because whether you're religious or politically minded or whatever it is that you believe if you're constantly checking your beliefs and questioning those beliefs it can expose how confident or how unconfident you are in those beliefs. Um, and it's not a bad thing to do because it's, in my mind, it's far worse to just be comforted by not checking your own beliefs and to just, just to, just to buy into certain things without challenging your own existence. Um, but it's also a type of comfort that comes with, it's like an, it's like a blissful ignorance. And so like, like David Foster Wallace said, blind certainty that we know 100% of the time how everything is for everybody is, you know, a horrible thing. And what I mean by that, and to give a similar example to what David Foster Wallace said during his commencement speech, is that when you go to the grocery store 
and you just got off of work, you just got out of school and you're tired and you see a lady very slowly bagging the groceries and people are yelling at her, don't be one of those people that yells at her, you know, not just because not just because it's not right and not just because it's a bad thing to do, but because you have no idea what that person's going through. And we make these assumptions and we have this sort of sense of blind certainty that we enter in our lives with. For instance, when we see the guy driving a big, huge pickup truck that's blowing out, you know, um, carcinogens out into the environment, we may think what a piece of crap this guy is because he doesn't care about the environment. And yet we may not realize that the man purchased that vehicle all because his therapist told him to in order for him to get over his PTSD of driving on the road after he was involved in a near fatal car accident that severely damaged him. Or for instance, when we may hear of certain people that are, you know, particularly anxious to get vaccinated, um, we're thinking these people are absolutely idiots or these people are stupid but we also don't know what certain people are going through. And so I believe that we should always, I believe my, another piece of advice is to always be inquisitive. Try to make as few assumptions about people as possible because usually, and not, actually not usually, our, I will say that our mind is programmed to not only have certain biases, but it is programmed to confirm our own worldview and maintain a sense of our own continuity, even if it conflicts with what is true or false. And so I, I would say the main piece of advice that has helped me in life and that would help society or anyone when it comes to anything is be inquisitive, ask questions. Don't assume that if someone sends you a message or tells you something and you assume that they're, they're, you make an inference on what they mean by that, always ask more questions. And I'm not going to try to go super long here because I know we got to close up, but this is just something that has been really helpful to me that has changed my way of thinking um, is that on, uh, I, I started, I first I got, uh, I, I took a, a course to get certified in online intelligence analysis for cybersecurity. Um, and then I, now I'm taking this other course right now for, um, it's uh, an intelligence analysis course or Intel analysis. Um, which everyone thinks that that's like military or like, you know, that has certain preconceived notions, but it's actually changed the way that I've been thinking about things and the way I've been thinking about what I know to be true or false and how I break down what I know. And so, you know, I, I forget the exact steps that the guy laid out, but it's something along the lines of always perform a sanity check when you're done thinking or making assumptions and always figure out what you do and don't know and know your biases and what is preventing you from, you know, knowing an accurate understanding that's not tainted by certain biases or beliefs and just, you know, be inquisitive. So ask questions backwards. Okay. Um, why am I on the zoom call? Why am I not on the zoom call? And it's like, okay. Or let's say that I wasn't on the zoom call. Why would I do this zoom call? Okay. Why am I doing this zoom call? two totally different questions, right? One's a positive, the other one's a negative. But if you answer those questions and you start breaking things down, you actually be surprised the data that you get from that. So like be inquisitive, ask questions, learn things, and don't go into any sort of situation or any sort of relationship or interaction with a blind certainty. You know, know your judgments and then know what you know and understand what you don't know and what you're assuming. And I guess that's pretty much you know, that's pretty much it. You know, give everyone a chance, treat everyone respectfully, um, you know, treat everyone the way that you would want to be treated. That's obviously a very simple thing that is like, I forget what they call that, the golden rule. Um, but that's that should be obvious. Don't ever treat, and, and, and if you're just one of those people that likes to be treated like crap, well, you should just, you should treat people how people would like to be treated also, you know, and, I think that's the greatest thing about this country that we live in in America is that we have all these different beliefs and the country was founded on the idea of ideological freedom. So respect people's beliefs, even if it doesn't line up with your beliefs, no matter what your beliefs or their beliefs are, if they're not harming anybody and they're not you know, physically hurting anybody, respect their beliefs and just always be curious. I think curiosity has driven um, intellectual 
intellectual conversations and intellectualism as a whole. And so always be curious and inquisitive and always analyze everything. That's it. That's my, that's my little piece of advice for whatever it's worth. Yeah, thank you so much, Devin, for everything. Like, I don't, I like exactly what you're just saying. That we haven't met somebody who's like had so much forethought into like society as a whole. And it's just like, it's really, really commendable. And we just thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you so much for everybody listening to this very special episode. And it was just really eye-opening to learn about like the truth of being a Disney Channel actor and how difficult it is. And like, it may seem all nice and happy on the outside, but. We were really, really able to like learn of how difficult it is, and like how difficult it is after, and why we see most of these actors don't even reappear. So thank you so much for your time, Devin, and for all of the knowledge that you gave our audience. Yeah, thank you guys so much. You know, I appreciate you guys letting me come on your podcast. I know I've been, I've had to reschedule like a bunch of times because my schedule's crazy. So I apologize, but thank you. It's been great. You guys are what you guys are doing is an awesome show, and I appreciate you for having me on. Yeah, like Nathan said, it was a really inspiring podcast and uh, best of luck with your businesses, Devin. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal, Nathan Jaladanki, and Rishi Sinha. Narration by Samhit Kadala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.